Welcome back to our last episode of In the Know for this semester. We're doing things a little bit differently this week. That's right. All three podcast reporters have come together for a year in review episode. So buckle in for the best last podcast episode produced from four separate locations. Let's get into it. Whatever sense of normalcy the class of 2020 and the class of 2024 had went out the window when all classes were moved online and the campus shut down earlier this semester. This week, I talked to freshman Jasmine de Guzman about how her first year experience differed from her expectations. Beginning of first semester, I remember basically just eventually finding my way to the library and just camping out in the library and not doing really much of anything else and hanging out in in the dorm as one does. <laughs> just wandering the halls and be like, oh, hey, what's up? Second semester was a lot more eventful, a lot more fun, because at that point I was like a lot more comfortable with people. I was getting to know more people just in on campus in general, and I was actually doing clubs. I had a lot planned for second semester with those clubs, but with everything that's happened, that kind of went down the drain. <laughs> but I am sad about some of the plans that I had, because through Run Club, I got to know a lot of really cool seniors and like upperclassmen and they're all graduating now and some of them are also graduating the semester early so I don't really like see them next year that much so they're like man there was like so much more we could have done together. One of the things that I was really looking forward to doing because I was supposed to be there uh, on campus for the summer there's a Japanese lantern festival in Como Park. So that's one thing I definitely want to do. I still have yet to go to the Minnesota State Fair. I want to find the highest place I have access to on campus and just like, just go there and just be like, I'm the highest place on campus. De Guzman also told me about what her family had missed out on thanks to COVID. Looking at it, it's right now 11 o'clock in the morning in Minnesota. I would be racing out of my last class and probably doing some last minute packing so I could get to the airport in time for a flight to go see my brother graduate the day after. I was also able to talk to Lingren Clark, the Associate Vice Provost of Strategic Enrollment Initiatives, and Lisa Grushka, Director of Orientation Programs, about what orientation might look like for incoming freshmen this fall. Yeah, we're working really hard to be creative in ways to um, build that community um, we have actually been able to partner with some another department on campus to create story mapping, which is an opportunity for to, us to take our resource fair that we do at orientation and put it into a story map that will allow many more departments to participate and having giving students the opportunity for um, extended period of access to that information so that they can explore um, what resources are available, where they're located and how that resource can support them as a student. So that is a benefit. Um, from going to this virtual space that we hadn't ever explored before. I think, of course, um, that opportunity to meet someone face-to-face -face is definitely different than meet meeting them in a virtual environment. We're hoping that the small groups will um, assist in making that less awkward. And the reality is, is with this generation, having virtual relationships is something that they have done since day one. So we're hoping that it won't be much of an adjustment for them. We're trying to add some additional opportunities, which would be new in our cycle beyond orientation before Welcome Week, that would allow students to come back and engage with one another, whether that be um, a student panel, a faculty-led thing about online instruction. So I think what has changed for all of those spaces, what do we continue to do 
Put once orientation is over leading up to welcome week. I think you have to work a little harder to keep the momentum of the engagement going for students and make sure they feel like they're still connecting and they have that excitement about being a gopher. Typically, incoming freshmen flock to campus in the summer and spend a couple days in the dorm to experience campus life. This summer, the freshman orientation process will be entirely online, although they have been actively working to ensure the closest experience to in-person orientation. The opportunity to bring parents to campus and have them feeling like this is um, a place that I feel confident leaving my student is something we're going to be working really hard on um, in the next couple months to make sure that parents have the information that they need. We are creating a parent resource page on our website and our campus partners that normally would present at parent orientation will be creating presentations, live Q&A sessions. Um, we're looking to do some programming with families in um, early August so that we can make sure that all their um, questions and concerns are addressed and so that they're feeling confident about their student's decision to come to Minnesota. And so we wanna make sure that we're meeting them where they are. On the other side of the spectrum, senior Marissa Brennan told me about her final year of undergrad for a bachelor's of science in psychology. My capstone is really the thing that's been like hardest for me to focus on online because I don't know, I'm used to meeting with like my research professor and there was like stuff we were supposed to do in our lab to kind of help with that. And it's been less like motivating to work on it since that got moved online. Starting last fall, I started doing research um, in my lab, which is like focused on behavioral genetics. And then I was doing that this semester too. It was just like a one semester requirement, but I I'm doing it for a year and then my course for my capstone is basically it's writing a paper and I'm writing like a long research paper for it and there's like a lecture and lab component to it but that's kind of the main focus of it. Outside of school Brennan told me about what she was most excited about for her senior year. Getting to do all of the most fun things one more time like you know your last homecoming and my last sorority formal would have been kind of a big deal. Spring jam just like getting to do all of those things one more time with, especially with like the people that I've, I don't know, been with for the last four years. I think those are kind of like the things I was most looking forward to. She also gave advice to the incoming seniors in the fall. Always like, you know, especially as a senior, keep being in mind, you know, that you never know for sure when something's going to be the last time that you do it. And so really embracing those, you know, moments that you do have together. As far as like online classes go, I think, one thing that would really be helping me right now that I'm not doing is kind of trying to keep like a normal schedule for classes, even if you don't have to. It's easier for me to be like, oh, like this is a great time to work a lot, but it's also I'm about to graduate and like start working on anyway. So I feel like I just started that sooner. But you know, if you still have your fall semester and your spring semester, I think trying to treat it like it is a normal semester as much as possible would help you stay motivated. Courtney and Mill, also from the class of 2020, told me what it was like to navigate her senior year. Right, yeah, I think it's just the fact that you go to the U of M and you can't wait to graduate. I know, like, the ceremony and, like, taking really cool pictures in the mall area with your friends and all of those small things um, that you look forward to all of a sudden, like, you can't have. And I know last year being a junior, looking at my friends who were seniors, I was like, oh my gosh, I can't wait for that to be me. And even though I'm still graduating, it doesn't feel real. Like, I finish my classes tomorrow. It's just going to feel like a normal Monday. You know, it's not going to feel like, holy cow, I just finished undergrad because there's not, like, any of the traditions that U of M seniors usually have for us. But I just feel like fall semester for me, I just worked so hard to try to have the best spring semester possible. 
so I didn't really live in the moment at all. So if I could go back and tell myself just to, to take it day by day and not just try to get everything out of the way to have a fun spring semester. Her advice to both incoming seniors and the class of 2020 was to really make the most of your time, no matter the circumstances. To seniors going into their senior year in the fall, I would plan on doing all of your classes online in the fall just in case like this continues but one thing my mom keeps saying to me that I think is like important to realize is like yes like the traditions we might not be able to have them and it might not feel the same um like finishing classes online but it's like that doesn't mean the last three years has like gone to waste like we've still learned a lot we're still capable of the jobs we're going into um so just to stay positive on that note for sure I think is important so I would say to like seniors who are like graduating right now, like we're going to get through it. We'll be okay. And it'll be a really kick butt story to tell people one day that we figured it out, figured life out through this. Amil is graduating from the Hubbard School of Journalism and Mass Communication and mentioned that the school is creating a virtual yearbook for the class of 2020. I talked to Amanda Freedom Gates about how the school is showing their appreciation for the graduating seniors. It started when we realized there was going to be no commencement. And we wanted to do something for our students. And before the U or CLA had announced any of their things either, we were just kind of waiting and we wanted to be ready. So we just decided to gather information from our um, seniors um, and same with graduate students. And then just ask them a few questions, get a photo, and then we want to put together kind of like a little video slideshow with those photos and quotes and things like that. And then we'll put it up on our website. Usually we have uh, the spring showcase event in April where students and alumni and donors come together, have dinner and celebrate each other that way. And since we couldn't do that, it's felt a little anticlimactic as well. So we're trying, it's been kind of a push to try to figure out how to share stories about students and alumni and donors in a different way. And so this is one of those. You don't really realize how much you have to look forward to as a senior until you are one. This year has been challenging for all students, here at the university and outside of it. What else can we do but keep our heads up and push for a better next semester? Congrats to the class of 2020. You stuck it out, and you're graduating during a pandemic. Next up, Megan Palmer looks into challenges around art classes moving online. I'm Megan Palmer. And this week, I spoke with art students at the University of Minnesota about the unique challenges they face with online learning. University of Minnesota classes were moved online in March due to COVID-19. While many departments have been able to pivot with relative ease to online instruction, others have had to modify entire sections of their curriculum. Gus Mahoney is a junior in the Guthrie BFA Actor Training Program who is especially feeling the strain of doing classes through a computer screen. Everything is so physical and like it's a lot of it's about physical touch. A lot of it is about like your physical presence. It's not like I'm in Carlson and like I can sit through a lecture, you know, do an online lecture. It's like this is has to be in person. Gus's classes used to last all day, involving lots of collaboration between students and professors. Now, they are trying to fill the time by doing prop work and performances through their monitors. It's been difficult navigating the new situation. It's, it's hard, and I think everyone's upset, and I think that everyone understands that everyone's upset. And, like, I think there's a lot of grace given to people. The acting professors have been creative in keeping their students actively learning. And, like, I don't want to ever, like, be like, the teachers didn't do this right. But, like, they, they are trying their hardest, and, like, I really appreciate that, and I think everyone appreciates that. And, like, a big thing is, like, they're trying to teach us about home practice, because it's, like, 
once you graduate, you don't have a set structure, like you're freelancing kind of the rest of your life. So it's like, how do you keep yourself in practice and keep your craft alive? The coronavirus pandemic has especially impacted the seniors in the BFA program. The seniors were like doing their showcase, which they go to New York, LA, uh, Chicago, and they they all got canceled. And then they, they have a show that they do at the Guthrie that got canceled. It's like, I feel so lucky to be in the position that I'm in. With fall semester hanging in the balance, the acting students are starting to consider what their options are if classes are online. And I think that's been kind of, it's been a big struggle because like a lot of people are thinking like, listen, if we're online next semester, like I'm not, like this is something that's really hard to do online. I know I like personally toyed with like dropping out or like taking a year off or changing majors. Like I I don't want to do that, you know? It's like, that's like the most like heartbreaking thing. Like this is what I love and this is what my career will be. Underneath all the frustration and uncertainty of this semester, Gus misses the feeling of doing what he loves most. The idea of being on stage is just so, um, it's like more precious and more beautiful now that like I can't do it. You know, it's like you don't know what you have until it's gone. Acting is not the only arts department that is being impacted by the pandemic. Haley Colleen is a junior studying gender, women, and sexuality studies and is enrolled in a ceramics class. The structure of the class has drastically changed in the past seven weeks since they can no longer use the studio space on campus. It really is necessary for you to be in the studio. And there is no option really for at home. You really need... You need glaze, you need kilns, you need like space, you need, you know, there's even health concerns around like when, when clay dries, it's bad for you to breathe in. Haley's ceramics coursework now revolves around watching videos on glazing and projects that branch into other art media. We've basically just been doing like random projects. So like take a photo and recreate yourself as like a famous painting was one of them. And right now we're like putting together a cookbook. The lack of physical interaction has left Haley feeling disengaged from her class and nervous about the fate of ceramics courses in the fall. Like disconnected is the main word that I have to use. I'm not excited. I'm not feeling motivated really to get registered just because, you know, if we don't go back, I don't know if I'll, I won't sign up for a ceramics class because I don't want to, you know, do this. Most ceramics students have to pay extra for their course materials on top of their tuition. When students left for spring break, they had no idea they would not be returning to campus for the rest of the semester. Haley wishes there was more clarity on what will be done with this semester's materials. It feels like we're all kind of in the dark with it, you know? And as much as they like want to give answers, they can't like for my ceramics class for instance, like we all have lockers that we rented for the semester. You know, obviously things that we've paid for that we haven't gotten to use, um, like the facilities, the clay, like the electricity that we're helping pay for through for gas firings and, you know, all of these things. And um, so I've had questions about like, are there gonna, is there gonna be any reimbursement for like all of these materials that we're now not using. Haley also works in the ceramics studio at Minneapolis Community and Technical College, where they let students pick up materials. We offered for the students to come and pick up bags of clay, and we're offering for whatever things that they make while they're at home, they can bring it in, and when everything opens up again, they can bring it in, glaze it, and we'll fire it for them. Haley believes the university should have responded similarly. It just feels like there's something that could have been done to, to help 
for the students who are in the arts who want to continue. It is nearly impossible for art students to have a fully engaging class experience without the physical and material resources they typically have at their disposal. If courses are online this fall, students will have to weigh pros and cons on whether or not to sign up. Hey everyone, I'm Megan G, and for this episode, I spoke with the university's first Jeopardy! college champ, Nabir Sarma. The performance has been truly amazing. You deserve this. The champ, Nabir. Nabir Sarma, I'm 19. I'm from Eden Prairie, Minnesota. Nabir is a chemical engineering student and an intern at Suez Water Technologies and Solutions. Down the road, he said he'd like to help solve some of the bigger issues facing the world, like clean water and energy. We met over Zoom about a week after his victory aired on TV to talk about his life, the coronavirus, and of course, Jeopardy. Growing up in an immigrant family, Jeopardy was not like a huge part of our uh, like daily like TV viewing or whatever. So my parents had like not, they didn't have a real like solid un- understanding of like how influential the show has been for like the past 50 years or however long it's been on in American culture, but uh, they definitely became fans of the show after um, after I got on. Nabir started watching Jeopardy! in high school. My friends and I would hang out in my parents' basement and um, play Jeopardy! using the actual questions that they used on the show, just playing amongst ourselves. And it came to a point where I thought, hey, I'm pretty good at this. I should try to get on the show. And so he did. Last October, after passing Jeopardy's online test, Nabir got an email inviting him to audition for the show in person. I was invited to audition in St. Louis. So a couple of friends of mine from the U of M, who all of us had been invited to audition, we all traveled down to St. Louis together, did our auditions the same weekend. Um, And then from then it was just a waiting game. During winter break back in his hometown, Nabir was unsure if he'd get a call back after his audition. But then his phone rang. I was driving my little brother back from something at his high school because this was like over winter break, right? Mid-January. And I got the call in the car. It was like some random area code number. I don't, I didn't recognize the number. And so I picked it up and I heard the voice of Glenn Kagan, who's one of the contestant coordinators at Jeopardy. As soon as I heard his voice and recognized it, I sort of turned to my brother in the car and tapped him on the arm. And I was like, this, this is it. Like, I knew exactly what it was. And I was like, I think I was like shaking for like multiple like minutes. <laughs> in less than a month after the call, Nabir was on a flight to LA with his family in tow. After he got to his hotel and settled in for the night, Nabir got the first glimpse of his competition. And we didn't get to meet each other until the morning of the first day of taking. They just said like 7 a.m., be down in the hotel lobby, and then uh, we all would take the bus over to the studio together. Once the contestants got to the studio, they took some promo shots. Nathaniel, who was a contestant from Yale, he referred to them as modeling pictures, (laughs) which uh, was very interesting. I don't think many of us had done much of the sort before. And then it was game time. Presented by Lending Free. 
I definitely coming into like when I got to the studio, I was not thinking about like semifinals or finals at all. I was just focused on I'm going to be there for one game and I want to do the best I can. And uh, that that was just my main sort of philosophy. When I was able to um, clinch that spot in the semifinals through like a big bet on final jeopardy and getting that correctly, uh, I was of course happy with that, especially because I was the only one of all three of us to get it right. He's a finalist. He's coming back in two days. Daily double. I would like to make it a true daily double. Oh, hello. Who is Galileo? Yes. <laughs> Leaving you with $22,195. Capital 16. Answer. I will do a true daily double. Again. What is On the second day of filming, Nibir was feeling good going into the finals, even after some tough competition. Yeah, so Tyler from Indiana University, he like thoroughly destroyed me and Natalie. We filmed the championship rounds that afternoon after lunch and uh, it it went pretty well, I guess. Um, I guess that's a little bit of an understatement, but it was, yeah, it was good. What do you, do you know if there's a specific point or do you remember the specific point where you're like, oh my gosh, I think, you know, I think I won this. I think probably just the last daily double of the second day of the finals where um, I, I uncovered the daily double and decided to wager five bucks. And <laughs> that was also like one thing that the studio audi- audience thought was pretty funny as well. Um, but that was when I was like, yep, I, I got this. It's solidus- solidified. The series was filmed back in early February, before the COVID-19 pandemic had really impacted our daily lives. In the U.S., the CDC reported the first case of a community-spread COVID-19 infection on February 26, a full three weeks after Nabir had won the championship in L.A. But by the time the show aired in mid-April, much of the country was living under stay-at-home orders. Staying at home, a lot of people, I think, tuned in to the show who otherwise might not have just because there's not much else to do while staying at home. And so from that aspect, I'm kind of thankful for everyone who has been able to tune in given the circumstances. And people were definitely tuning in. Jeopardy's college championship helped fill a void left by suspended professional sports leagues and served as a welcomed break from COVID-related news. It's just been a lot. I definitely did not anticipate the level of support I would be getting from like the U of M itself with the athletics department, like live tweeting my episodes and uh, videos from the different sports teams and coaches. It's, it was, it was pretty awesome. Yeah. uh, (laughs) There was, I think there was an article on like Barstool as well saying like there was a new King of college jeopardy jeopardy. And he's, his name is Nabir or something like that. We looked up the Barstool article and he's telling the truth. Fans of the Trivia Champ, or the Nabir Hive, compared him to legendary sports stars, and others referred to him simply as King Nabir. One commenter, going by the name of LOL My Name is John, called Nabir the PJ Fleck of trivia. I'm really proud to be representing the U of M on a national stage now, and uh, it's it's just been awesome. Row the boat, Skyima, go Gophs. I would say just, you know, whether it's wanting to be on a TV show that you've always wanted to be on or having other goals, just take your chances as they come and don't stress out about it too much. 
And what is he planning to do with his winnings? I play clarinet in the Gopher hockey pet band, right? But clarinet's not really really a cool instrument. You don't see people playing clarinet on the street corners of Minneapolis, but the saxophone is a cool instrument. So I would try to use at least some of the money to buy and then learn how to play the saxophone. And here are some of our favorite stories from this year. My favorite stories have been all of the stories around the coronavirus. Minnesota Daily reporters are working from home now, reporting remotely, and they continue to put out really good stories every week. And I'm just continuously floored by that. I loved seeing all the student reporters covering the protests and counter-protests from Trump's October rally in Minneapolis. I'm dining partnered with a local nonprofit organization and a university student group to donate uneaten food in a large donation before spring break. Several food rescue initiatives have taken place in the past several years, which provide meals and food services to people in the St. Paul and Minneapolis area. Natalie is a graduating senior this spring, and the podcast team wanted to give her a proper farewell. We've had a great time doing this podcast with her, and we're sad that we can't be in the studio for our last episode with Natalie. But Natalie has been a fantastic podcast producer, and we're going to miss her so much this fall. And thank you guys for all your hard work. Um, it was a lot of fun putting out a podcast every week with you, um, and I really enjoyed doing it. And I'm going to miss you guys next year, and I'm excited to see what you guys do with the podcast. Thanks so much for tuning in this semester. Tune in next semester for more from your favorite podcast team to stay in the know. Until then, keep social distancing, wash your hands, and stay safe. This episode was reported by Jessica Toledo, Megan Palmer, and Megan Germanson. Produced by me, Natalie Rademacher. Intro music by J.D. Duggan. You may have heard some audio earlier from the television show Jeopardy. That audio was pulled from Jeopardy's YouTube channel. Have a good summer.